fourth watch starts now. to the fourth watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight we're going to travel into an area of controversy, examining the secret satanic history of what some call the most powerful and politically connected religion in the world. This is a religion that has many facades that cover its true face, and tonight we'll be bringing much of this to light. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode The Harlot and the Beast with Doc Marquis. Let us travel to Vatican City. Vatican City is the smallest country in the world. Encircled by a two-mile border with Italy, Vatican City is an independent city-state that covers just over 100 acres, making it one-eighth the size of New York's Central Park. Vatican City is governed as an absolute monarchy, with the Pope at its head. For such a small area, it's rare to see such widespread power worldwide, as it controls a huge network. Now, one of the things we need to go ahead and establish here, before going any further, is the fact that behind every government, or group for that matter, is a shadow ruling elite. We know that the world and its control systems are always compartmentalized, and information, power, and communication generally trickles down from the top, only allowing certain people to be privy to the full spectrum of what's really going on. This isn't news to most of you listening right now. We see this in our own government. Just like we have the shadow government, tonight we will learn about the shadows of the Vatican. The purpose of this show is not to condemn Catholics. The fact is, I've met people who have professed to be Catholic, and they had a true and full understanding of the gospel, and they were students and followers of the word of God. They didn't practice any pagan rituals, but they will always consider themselves Catholic. So I want to make the point up front that this isn't an attack on individual Catholics, but it's an examination of the truth behind the Catholic Church, its history, and some very eye-opening information that has surfaced about the Vatican since the mid-1900s. I want to make sure that this is received properly because many are unaware of these realities. And the purpose of tonight's show is to unveil these realities. As we're going to learn tonight, the Catholic Church has its dark history that's rooted in witchcraft. But since the 1960s, we've seen an influx of insider reports and leaks among some of the top Vatican dignitaries. So mind-blowing and appalling are these that we tend to forget that this has been a sustained force in the Catholic Church's hierarchy. Blatant Satan worship is rampant within the Vatican and many Catholic churches and parishes worldwide. According to one reliable source, the smoke of Satan has entered the very sanctuary of St. Peter's Cathedral in the Vatican. Mind-boggling though it may be, priests and bishops alike are known to have taken contract oaths to serve the devil signed in their own blood. These amazing facts about devil worship inside the Vatican and its subsidiaries have come not from hostile Protestant critics, but from top-ranking Catholic prelates themselves. 
Evidently, this awful malignancy is so far advanced that Satanism has reached the nuns and priests even in the USA and throughout the globe. Untold numbers of outright Satan worshippers are now masquerading as Catholic clergy while secretly paying homage to Lucifer. One of the most chilling moments of my research in the past years was the time I found out that Lucifer was officially enthroned. You heard that correctly, folks. Lucifer was officially enthroned via a massive ritual in the Vatican. Let me back this up. From 1958 until 1964, Jesuit priest Malachi Martin served in Rome where he was a close associate of and carried out many sensitive missions for the renowned Jesuit Cardinal Augustin B. and the Pope. Dr. Malachi Martin, formerly a Jesuit professor at Georgetown University and a confidant of Vatican insiders, flatly declared in a New York City interview, Yes, it's true. Lucifer is enthroned in the Catholic Church. Martin stated, and I quote, Suddenly it became unarguable that now during this papacy, the Roman Catholic organization carried a permanent presence of clerics who worshipped Satan and liked it, of bishops and priests who sodomized boys and each other, of nuns who performed the black rites of Wicca and lived in lesbian relationships. He also said that sacrilegious actions and rites were not only performed on Christ's altars, but had the connivance or at least the tacit permission of certain cardinals, archbishops, and bishops. In total number, they were a minority, anything from 1 to 10% of the church personnel. But of that minority, many occupied astoundingly high positions or rank. Now, Martin was quite explicit about the enthronement of Lucifer ritual, and he stated that while the ritual was taking place at St. Paul's Chapel inside the Vatican City on June 29, 1963, it was simultaneously coordinated via telephone with a sect in South Carolina performing the same ritual. Martin was also interviewed by the Fatima Crusader, a well-known Catholic publication. He again repeated his allegations and expressed his dismay and distress that the Catholic institution of which he is a part of has grown so decadent and morally reprobate since the Vatican II conference of the 60s. The contention that there are Satanists in Rome is completely correct, said Martin. He also said, and I quote, Anybody who is acquainted with the state of affairs in the Vatican in the last 35 years is well aware that the Prince of Darkness has and still has his surrogates in the court of St. Peter in Rome. It has gotten so bad, he stated that in one shocking incident, high-ranking churchmen actually took oaths signed in their own blood and participated in meticulously intacted rituals that blaspheme and devilishly mimic the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And I realize how crazy this all sounds, and I know this is mind-blowing for so many people, but I want to break down a little bit more about this because Dr. Martin was not the only person in the Catholic Church that was high up that came out speaking about this. Now, if Martin was the only authority who was sounding the alarm, the whole affair could simply be dismissed as just an outrageous accusation. But as far back as 1976, Pope Paul VI shocked a papal audience by confiding that the smoke of Satan has entered the very sanctuary of St. Peter's Cathedral. The pontiff went on to explain that he had knowledge of a midnight hour black satanic mass having been conducted at the altar of St. Peter's on the exact spot where the Pope himself regularly said mass. Now it's about to get a little deeper here. Let me take you guys back to the year 2000. 
Thousands of people are in attendance. The event, Rome's Fatima International Congress on World Peace. A respected Archbishop, Emmanuel Malingo, strode to the podium. The crowds gasped as they heard Malingo solemnly affirm that members of the Catholic Church hierarchy are secretly involved in the darkest kinds of formal satanic worship. Archbishop Emmanuel Malingo stunned an international audience of bishops, priests, nuns, and laity in Rome by exposing satanic worship by the Catholic hierarchy. Archbishop Malingo, an exorcist, is also an author of a best-selling book which exposes the occult entitled Face to Face with the Devil. In his speech, Malingo called Satan worship the third dimension of evil. And he explained it like this. He stated, Now the third dimension of evil is the most dangerous. It is subtle and the most terrible. I could not believe when I discovered the third dimension of evil. The third dimension is people who follow instructions in satanic sects. He went on to say, Now with this third dimension, I'm sorry to say our church belongs to it. I'm very sorry. I could not understand myself. Archbishop Malingo then went on to make an accusation which sent shockwaves throughout the Catholic community. According to Malingo, the devil is actually protected by the Catholic Church. Let's hear what he said. He said, the devil in the Catholic Church is so protected now that he is like an animal that is protected by the government, who is put on a game preserve that outlaws anyone, especially hunters, from trying to capture or kill it. The devil within the church today is actually protected by certain church authorities from the official devil hunter in the church, which is the exorcist. So much so that the exorcist today is forbidden to attack the devil. He said the devil is so protected that the one who is the hunter, which is the exorcist, is forbidden to do his job. Now, this is interesting, folks. It is a fact that the Vatican and its controlled churches, for the most part, have written off demon possession as modern medical issues, which is now treated with drugs and strange forms of therapy, rather than the former ways of exorcisms. Now, in another interview, the courageous archbishop stated, Certainly there are priests and bishops alike who are followers of Satan. When asked whether cardinals or even the Pope himself were guilty of this repulsive heresy, Malingo responded, that because he is an archbishop, he does not feel it is proper for him to name or comment about superior officials. The archbishop's silence here truly does speak volumes on the matter. There are many more in-depth and relative facts which are further evidence on what's going on behind the scene in the Vatican. We don't have time to go too much deeper because we're about to welcome on Doc Marquis to the show, but there is one last interesting area of research I wanted to mention. Karen Hughes studied law at Yale and economics at the University of Amsterdam. She worked in the U.S. Export-Import Bank of the U.S. from 1980 to 1985, and she worked in the legal department of the World Bank from 1986 to 2007. Those credentials are really important to know before we get into her disclosure. Now, she had learned of deep corruption and conspiracy involved with the U.S. government, the world government, and the U.S. and global economy. She aligned herself with other whistleblowers to uncover the corrupt activities. When she tried to speak out against the global conspiracy, she was quickly discounted. She did a really interesting interview with Future Money Trends. About halfway through the interview about conspiracies concerning global economy, she revealed that a strange race of beings have been living in hiding at the Vatican. The interviewer for Future Money Trends asked her, Who is calling the shots at the Vatican? I'm assuming it's not the Pope, he said. 
And she replied with a shocking answer. Well, there is something called the Black Pope, but that's not the ultimate reason why we've been in the fix that we're in. What we have found out, she said, and this sounds implausible, but it's absolutely correct. The fact that it's been held in secret doesn't mean that it's not true. It is true. There is a second species on this planet. They are not extraterrestrial. They are very much with us. They made maps in the previous ice age. The remnants of their civilizations are all over the place. She said that this group has large brains and elongated skulls, and they are very distinct from Homo sapiens. She further explained, their DNA is so different that if the two species mated, their offspring would be infertile, and we know this because their DNA was just tested. They have skulls all over the place because they have been on Earth with us, but after the Ice Age, there weren't that many of them. And so they have been hiding, and one of the places they have been hiding is in the Vatican. That's why the Vatican are wearing those miters. Now, she referred to these creatures or these beings as Homo Capensis. And then she continued, The people that were doing archaeology in Israel know this. And the reason is that not only are Homo Capensis trying to keep human beings under control by divide and conquer using our money system, they have also been doing this with our religion. That's what's been going on throughout our history, she said. Now, Future Money Trends responded, Okay, Karen, you're an attorney. You worked for the World Bank for 20 years. What you're saying is on the fringe of conspiracy. It sounds crazy. What have you seen that has made you so confident to actually say this stuff publicly? She answered, Because they have been going to meetings. I sent an email to a fellow in Portugal, and the next day he went to a meeting of bankers. And he sent me back an email saying that at the meeting there had been a big scold individual with bright blue eyes. Another person in touch with Dr. Edward Spencer, who was a retired neurologist, he's the one who started telling me about this, she said. A friend of his was in Egypt and saw these homo capensis running around. Their skulls are all over the planet. It's not a conspiracy theory. She went on to say, these are facts. So we have to remind ourselves that Karen isn't a Johnny-come-lately conspiracy theorist, ladies and gentlemen. She has been an integral part of the World Bank for 20 years. I recently had the privilege of talking with her, and I invited her on the show. I'm not really sure what exactly happened since her initial interview, but she informed me that she can no longer talk about this topic. But she connected me to another doctor in this research. Now, while I don't agree with her secular view of these creatures, I definitely can see that her claims are directly linked with the fallen angels, the giants of antiquity, more easily defined as the Nephilim and the demonic hybrids. And the fact that there's major Vatican involvement in this, along with the Vatican's press releases about the coming arrival of extraterrestrials, it really adds a unique element to tonight's topic. We see a slow revealing process, as some call a loose change over time which slowly allows the agenda to come to light in a way that won't shock the masses. And I'm really looking forward to having on Dr. Edward Spencer to really hash out this topic from his scientific perspective. But now we have to move on to the meat of tonight's show. We're going to be digging into a thorough explanation of the official history of the Catholic Church. And we're being joined tonight by my good friend, Doc Marquis. Brother Doc, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Justin. How have you been? I'm great. Let me go ahead and roll that Doc Marquis introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Doc Marquis. <laughs> you are insane. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, but it's a good, it's a good insane. All right, well, brother Doc, welcome back to the Fourth Watch. We're really excited to have you back, and um, we're going to go ahead and just kind of pass the mic to you for a few minutes. And if you could just fill us in on the 
the origins and the history involved in the, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholicism. Tell us what's going okay. on and, and where it came from. Well, the um, truth of the matter is the whole of um, the Catholic belief system is derived straight from the occult world. Now, we have to understand certain historical facts, whether people want to acknowledge them or not. History is recorded in these facts along with them. It was back um, shortly after the Great Flood of Noah that the first religion ever created upon the face of the earth was done through Nimrod and his co-founder, his mother, Semiramis. And this first religion is known as witchcraft. So that happened around 5,000 years ago. So using um, the timing when the um, Christianity, and I mean biblical Christianity really started, witchcraft um, came before Christianity by 3,000 years. Now, um, there is the misconception um, because of what the Catholic Church has taught, that Peter, um, the apostle, was the first um, pope. That is not only inaccurate, but it's not historically true. You see, there are actual historical records that will state what really happened as far as the true origins of Catholicism go. It's just like um, when we use history, let's say outside of religious sources, we can actually still prove that Christ walked on the face of the earth because there were people outside any religious institution who wrote of Christ's mission, what he did on the face of the earth and such. They were witnesses. They had no agenda, nothing to gain here. Now, with the Catholic Church, they would distort true history because they have a lot to gain and they want to hold on to their occult religion. The true history of Catholicism begins with Constantine, who was um, a Roman general slash emperor. In um, 322 A.D. at the Melvian Bridge, right before the battle began, Constantine claims, um, excuse me, that was 312 A.D., 312. Constantine claimed he had a vision. He claimed he saw a cross, and this cross had a hook at the top, in which he said that there was written, um, and it would have been Latin, um, in hoc signo vince which from the Latin means, in this sign, conquer. So that cross he saw with the hook at the top is actually the Ankh, or um, the symbol of reincarnation in the Egyptian um, belief system. So he conquered um, that part of the Roman Empire. 313 AD, he set himself up as the very first historical pope. There was absolutely not one shred of his historical evidence, and I mean outside of anyone with a religious agenda, that state Peter was the first pope. But you can um, definitely say it was Constantine, because Constantine, once he became, you know, the head of the um, Roman Empire, he set up, among other things, what he claimed, and this is what the record state, he claimed he wanted a state religion. And he called this religion Catholicism because Catholicism, from its definition, means universal. He wanted to bring in the pagans and the Christians at the same time, but the Christians weren't 
buying it. But because there was enough paganism in this state religion, the pagans were coming in, and the reason there was so much occultism in the creation of the Catholic Church is because Constantine himself, again, this is a historical fact, along with his mother, were both practicing pagans. And among other things, it was Constantine in 323 A.D. at the Council of Trent um, had sent to the libraries of Alexandria a message that he wanted 50, and again, he stated he wanted 50 state Bibles written. So these had to be written in a way that would fit the new um, occult religion of Catholicism, going by what Constantine had wanted. Among um, some of the things that Constantine had done, and um, you're going to find this very interesting, Justin. Now, if we look at the KJ, um, KJV 1611 Bible, we find out, and it's probably in the vast majority of other Bibles, not that I trust them, but um, in the Ten Commandments, God tells us not to have any graven or carved images. We're not supposed to bow down to them or anything. Now, we know this is part of Catholic practice, correct? That's right. Right. And this is part of the pagan um, world itself. They're always bowing down to the false god. Yet, if you look at the um, Catholic, Catholic Douay translation of the Holy Scriptures, which is the official Bible of the Catholic Church, look in um, Exodus chapter 20, and you will find out that they do not have um, bowing down to any graven images or any, or any of that part. Completely omitted. What Bible translation is that again, just in case somebody that's missed it? The, that's the Douay translation. D-U-O-A-Y. Douay. The Catholic Douay translation of the Holy Scriptures. Wow. You won't find it in there. That was purposely omitted by Constantine so they could create these statues and bow down to them as the pagan community should. That's wild. Uh, I know a lot of Catholics today use the King James uh, with the Apocrypha, um, and I'm sure that's a whole other topic, the Apocrypha. <laughs> but uh, this is interesting because I didn't realize that that was the Bible that they were pushing. No, most people don't, re- don't realize that. And um, it has the official seal of approval um, of the Catholic Church. It's known as the Imprimatur. It looks like a red um, Nazi cross. You'll see it at the front of their Bible when you open it up. If it has that, that is the official Bible of the Catholic Church. It's known as the Douay Translation. And that's been the standard for hundreds of years, is that correct? Um, Almost 2,000. Wow. This was, remember, um, um, what? This was done in 323 A.D. Um, Once, you see... What Constantine had done, he had taken all the manuscripts, the scrolls, and other things of true Christians who had been tortured, beheaded, fed to the lines and such, and sent them to um, the um, scholars at the Library of Alexandria in Egypt and told them, "We, I want a state Bible. Basically, they went through those scrolls and manuscripts and, and read through it and said, yeah, 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 that's good. That, no, 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 that, no, no, or, you know, that's not good. Or, no, 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 
well, that's what they said, but this is what they really meant. And that's how, among other things, as it says, the bowing down to graven images, you're not supposed to call these statues or anything. That's why and how it was omitted from the Ten Commandments. That's insane. That's how it happened, Justin. The other day, there was a post, and uh, kind of a somebody started a post in one of the groups on Facebook, and somebody made the comment that they were Catholic, and they said, if it weren't for us Catholics, you wouldn't even have your Bible today. No, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. Because um, they're trying to say that um, our Bibles... The Douay translation is where all the other translation comes from then. That's not true. Let's look at the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic text. Those are the oldest original manuscripts from um, the day and age. Those day and age. Those are the oldest. And if I want to get even more accurate here, let's go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, granted, they were found in 1948, but it, finds, uh, it proves that there was... Um, the Bible written, the Hebrew Bible, was written almost 2,000 years before Catholicism came around. You see, their argument that uh, that we want to have our Bible, but it wasn't them, it doesn't stand. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people make the comments that Constantine had something to do with canonizing the 66 books that we have. No, no, it wasn't. Constantine had nothing to do with that. I never bought into that whole Catholic propaganda. No, you see, because among other things, the translation of the of the Douay translation holds has, among other things, the first and second and third book of Maccabees and the first, second, and third of this and other books that um, in the KJV would never be considered canonical books. You know, so that, uh, that, that's, that's another one of those lies. Can you tell us a little bit about, about Maccabees? Uh, I know a lot of people reference to it as a historical text uh, about the... Oh, yes. You see, Judas Maccabee um, was leading a revolt against, I think it was the Babylonians at the time. And um, in the um, Catholic translation, you'll find the books of, of Maccabees. Now, it is, and I will tell you right now, those are very good historical books, and it gives us a good account of what happened, but they are not considered divinely inspired. Where does the idea of purgatory come into play? Well, that is an interesting story. You see, um, going by Catholic belief, now, first of all, let me explain something else. According to what God says, one sin is no more, no less than the, any other sin. All sin has the same equal weight and measure. That's what, how God says in his eyes he sees sin. Okay? So one sin is not different than another sin. But in Roman Catholicism, they have so many different weights and measures. There's what's known as, as venial sin, cardinal sin, um, and a bunch of others. Now, interesting enough, according to what they say, um, um, venial sin won't send you into hell, but it will keep you out of heaven. So accordingly, and I've got their own material here. I've got their catechism books, among other things, where it states, that purgatory is a logically deduced place. Remember, venial sin won't get you into hell, but it will keep you out of heaven. So the um, catechism teaches that there has to be some place in between. And that's been built upon over the centuries to where eventually, well, if you end up in purgatory, you can eventually pray yourself out of it.
once you've died, you can pray yourself into a new eternal state. That's that's pretty much what they're saying. Yes, but you can also prepare for that ahead of time by doing indulgences. Indulgences, basically, you know, are good work, um, giving a lot of money to the Catholic Church and other things. Now, that would lessen a couple thousand, maybe 10,000 years after your punishment in purgatory. There was a time when the Catholic Church, especially during the Dark Ages, was heavy into selling indulgences. You know, and if you want, you can actually pay ahead of time for sins you may commit down the road. I have to say, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening right now is going to agree, that's 110% heresy. That takes away from the cross. Well, yes, that is Catholic teaching. That's part of their doctrine. As it says, I've got their own books here, their catechisms, everything that clearly state this. I wrote a DVD, Justin. It's called um, Catholicism. What's Queen of Heaven? And in it, now this was uh, one of those, there's two discs in it. It's four hours long. But I will give you the whole history, the true history, their belief system, and everything about Roman Catholicism. And anyone who knows the history or anyone um, who was willing to look at the facts, you just can't argue the point, especially when we compare Catholicism to any of, of the occult religions. I mean, well, mainly witchcraft, I should say. You're going to see it lined up perfectly. It's all the information, all the facts is in that DVD. And I can tell you right now, I've had more people, Justin, literally hundreds of them, tell me that they've actually taken that DVD and used it as a witnessing tool and have taken many, many of their Catholic friends out of Catholicism and they became born-again Christians. Amen. That was never my original intentions with any of the DVDs in my series, but that's what people have been doing with them. Well, how can you fight the battle if you don't have the proper weapons? And I think it's so important that we understand the facts. Because when we go to another Catholic and we start presenting the facts, first of all, if they really are seeking truth, even if they disagree with the facts, they're going to take those facts and they will investigate. And then they're going to learn that they were wrong. And that's the first step to repentance. Finding out you're wrong, admitting you're wrong. And I've seen, I've seen several clips of your, of your Catholic film where you break down the altars. And folks, it's amazing. Yes, you see, the Catholic Church, let's face it, they always have an altar at the front of the church. It has all, you know, it has a bunch of instruments on it. It has, you know, um, the priest there. It has um, their uh, attendants there. And now remember, as I said, witchcraft came before Catholicism by thousands of years. And it's interesting. And it says, what will prove that Constantine was a um, practicing pagan and that Catholicism is based on the ancient occult religions is best proven by the altars. You see, in the DVD, I set up two altars side by side. On the right side was the occult um, or pagan um, altar. On the other side was um, the Catholic one. What I did was put one instrument on each, one at a time, just to show that in the occult world they have this chalice. Well, in the Catholic world, they have a chalice. And we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you will find out that every single instrument, including the way they worship, their um, priests, their attendants, everything, 
is found in the occult world and that the occult world definitely came before Catholicism by over 3,000 years. So how can any logical person try to state that um, Catholicism is separate and unique? That it has nothing to do with the occult or paganism or anything. It blows my mind. It really blows my mind because I've got friends who are on the fence. They're Bible believers, but they have found some of these more modern-day Catholic churches. And even even the, the more modern-day Catholic churches, um, he, you know, I've been told they'll go to Mass and they'll have Bible reading, actual real Bible reading. Um, but it's it's blended in with pagan practice. Well, it wasn't called Catholicism for no reason at all. Remember, by definition, Catholicism means universal. It was supposed to be created so that they could bring in all the occultists, the pagans, about those days and age. And that's exactly what Constantine had done. And that's why, among other things, you look at the robes the priests wear, the Catholic priests, those are the same kind the, those in the occult are wearing to this very day. The holidays that the Catholics um, created, you know, Christmas, Easter, and all that, those were first in the occult. Those still are, to this very day, occult holidays. And I proved all this in DVD 2, which is called America's Occult Holidays. When the pilgrims first settled um, at Plymouth Rock in 1607, Easter, Christmas, Halloween were all illegal. You could be fined, thrown in prison, or both if you were caught uh, practicing any of those holidays because they recognized and knew that they came from the occult to begin with. With the facts that you've presented so far, we, we've, recently, we've recently just learned that Catholicism came after witchcraft. Now, there's right. a... 2,000 years later. Now, when we go into, I think it was the late 70s, uh, we had a band called Black Sabbath. I'm sure most people are familiar with Ozzy Osbourne. He mentioned, in, oh, yeah. he, not only was he a, uh, a follower of Aleister Crowley, but he mentioned in one of his songs about witches gathering at black masses. Now, was the black mass a spinoff of the Catholic mass, or did the black mass predate the Catholic mass? It, it, again, it predates the Catholic mass by about 3,000 years. As I suspected. So why in the world would anyone want to go to an event holding the same name as a satanic ritual? Because they've been lied to. You see, one of the main teachings in Catholicism, and I remember this ages ago, that um, all that Catholics are not allowed to read the Bible, basically. And the reason is because only the priests have the true spiritual knowledge and experience to understand what God is really saying. See, it's a form of control because it keeps them locked into a system where they have to take the priest at their word, and if they go to the source, the Bible, they could be committing a sin because they're going against what they were told to do. And yet, the whole answers, the truth of it, can be found in the Bible, and if they ever read the Bible, they would find out that they've been lied to all along. So as you mentioned earlier, with the indulgences, we're dealing with a work. It's something that you can buy. You can buy it with money. Right, well, that's it. You see, Catholicism is based on the same rudimentary belief as the occultists go. You see, in other words, 
It is a quid pro quo religion. In other words, you do something for God, he does something for you. And in this case, they themselves believe that they can work themselves out of hell and into heaven. And you know, as well as I do, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace, by grace, and grace only are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Amen. Okay, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, but then a man should boast. And the reason that last part, that any man should boast, was put in, it really screams out a lot about human nature. Because if we could work ourselves into heaven, we would actually be up there and saying, well, I didn't need Jesus Christ. I did it on my own. I was such a good and virtuous person. And according to the Word of God, there's not one, not one person, not me, not Doc, not any of you listening, not one man is good. We've all got wickedness in our heart. The Bible says there is none good, oh, not one. Now, what it's talking about is a moral, perfectly moral, morally upright person. That's what it's talking about when it says good, and that's in the translation. Christ was the only one that was perfect. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I heard somebody once say this, and I, I rarely quote people, but this is great. They said the cross plus anything else is heresy. You can't add anything to the cross. You can't take away anything from the cross. Exactly, because the cross was the perfect remission of our sins. Amen. You see, and this is a lesson that those in the um, Hebrew movement need to understand. The, um, there is a, um, a very dangerous and cult-like movement that is, you know, called the Hebrew Roots Movement, in which they state that um, you actually have to go back to the Hebrew Roots to be a complete Christian. And a lot of them will say parts of the Bible is wrong, and a lot of them will just say, you know, you can't use the um, Greek, the um, New Testament period. Well, that's heresy, you know, because I always ask these people one question. That question is, was the cross sufficient? Either the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was sufficient enough, or it wasn't. I always ask them, and I will nail them to the wall for this. I won't stop until I get an answer. It's either yes or no. There's no gray lines here. Either the complete work of Christ was good enough, or he isn't God enough to have done it. That's right. And if your religion is based on adding anything to the cross or taking anything away from the cross, which really it's all the same, adding or taking away from the cross of Christ, if your religion or your faith has that as the pinnacle, then I would have to question whether or not your faith is living faith. Well, not just that, Justin. They now um, no longer have a religion. They have a cult. No, and the fact is, I don't believe God is going to show grace and mercy to those who pervert his sacrifice on the cross. I think what's going on here is this is simply another satanic attack to keep the church divided. See, the old military axiom says divide and conquer. And that's what Satan has done by creating all these religions. Because when you keep the Christian church apart, then you can't, together, can't come together as one unified family to stand up against the forces of darkness. Because if that was allowed by Satan, then the world would have been saved uh, over a thousand years ago easily. I mean, think about this. When people take on denominational titles, they automatically throw up denominational walls. 
because people will say, oh, what religion are you? Or, oh, you're from that group. Well, you can't be one of us. Or, oh, you believe in that? No, I don't want to be one of you. And, and you know what? Guess what, Justin? I don't want to be one of them. I want to be one of what God tells us to be. That's right. That's all I'm interested in, because Christian, you see, religion is man's way to God. God's way to man was through Jesus Christ and not a religion. See, folks, Doc and I, we're of the same denomination. We are of the denomination called Bible-believing followers of Yeshua. <laughs> a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. That's, That's right. That's it. It is not a religion. It is a way of life. The way of life Christ instructed us to lead. Now, real quick, Doc, I want to I want to point us over to a couple uh, talking points. Uh, first of all, the idea of Peter being the first pope. Now, let's just dig into history for a second. Last time I checked, I thought Peter was actually crucified by the Romans. Well, he was. And you see, they try to say that Peter <laughs> means um, stone. Okay? Well, and the funny thing is, um, when, you, when you look at the original um, translation, the Greek translation, it says Petra, which means pebble. So you cannot build anything upon a pebble, can you? But the Catholics try to um, skirt around the issue, and they say, well, in the original Aramaic, it means stone. It means stone. Well, that's fine and hunky-dory, but it was not written in Aramaic. It was the New Testament. It was written in Greek, and Petra still means little pebble. And the fact that he was crucified upside down... And then you have years later the the Roman Catholic Church still embracing the upside down cross. The upside down cross is used in, in occult rituals. So in satanic ones, yes. Um, the Catholic belief system was all stolen from those in the occult world. That doesn't suddenly justify their actions. And that Catholicism through um, Constantine, whether they want to believe it or not, because this is history, um, based the entire belief of Catholicism upon um, paganism, and it's just gotten worse as the um, centuries have rolled by. Now, Mary is not only co-mediator, she's co-redeemer. If the Catholic um, Church um, gets their way, they're going to make Mary the fourth head of the Catholic Church. They'll no longer just have a trinity. You'll have Mary as part of that trinity, as being equal and in some cases better than her son. Now, this is great. You've actually just led me right into my next question. Let's talk a little bit about what I like to call the demon worship. Because in reality, um, many Catholics, and now this is strange because if you talk to a Catholic from, say, Europe, or Poland, um, they'll tell you, yes, we worship Mary. We pray to her. We worship her. Um, but then you talk to some of these more Americanized Catholics, and they'll say, oh, well, we don't actually worship her. We just we ask her to pray for us. So not, uh, you can't ask someone who's dead, who's already died in the flesh, you can't, you can't communicate with them and ask yeah, them to pray. Yeah, and, you know, in the occult world, that's known as necromancy. Exactly. You know, communicating with the dead. They've got all these different deities, which we have talked in previous shows. Um, I've mentioned how they brought the names of biblical characters or saints, and they will, they've renamed their statues so that they kind of correlate with the Bible names. Um, so when you're praying to these idols, uh, you, you're, you're, you're really not praying to that person. You're actually praying to a demon. Yes. They divided the first commandment into two parts, 
and at the same time omitted the part where you can't bow down to um, statues or images or anything like that. And the people continue to buy into this practice because there's all these supernatural occurrences that have surrounded some of these statues. You know, uh, well, yeah. they might cry blood or there might be blood coming out of the hands. Uh, some of the eyes might turn black. They found the statue of Jesus that actually had human teeth in it. Yeah, I remember these things. You know, uh, how do you describe how do that, you- that, that could be easily done through any type of demonic manipulation. That would be easily done, very easily. And let's look at all the um, other instances like that. It's known as stigmatas where people actually start bleeding out of the middle of their hands. And this is where it's absolutely nothing but demonic manifestation because, and um, I have my medical degree, and any person in the medical world will tell you it is impossible to nail someone in the, in the center of their hand, in their palms, upon a cross, and have, and have them suspended. Because that weight upon that nothing but flesh, basically, in that part of your hand, it would rip all the way through it. The weight, um, the hand, the flesh could not take that type of weight. However, in the Roman world, about four inches down on the wrist, that was considered part of the hand. Now, when you consider the major bones in the arm itself, they could easily suspend the weight, but the part of the hand, the palm, has too much flesh. It couldn't support it. The bones aren't strong enough, but the ones in the wrist could. And we've seen plenty of examples in which people were crucified in the wrist, but never in the palms. So that's a clear that, that clearly identifies that anytime we see the stigmata or the bloody hands on the statues, totally demonic deception. That's exactly what it is. No correlation to the actual crucifixion of Jesus. None. And you see, the very first statue ever created to um, demons was the statue of Moloch. That's where you get idol worship from, is from Moloch. You know, it's also interesting that there's a correlation between the some of the Vatican priests um, and the priests of Dagon. Well, yeah, I know what you're talking about, like the fish hat and all that. Well, you see, that's true, because mitre, and that's what it's referred to as, that they wear on their head, is the exact same one that the occultists had been using for 3,000 years. It only once again validates the argument that Catholicism was stolen from the occult world. Dagon was um, a fish god, and the mitre, the hat, is if you look at the top, it has a split in it from one end to the other. That's the opening of the mouth of the fish. That's how Dagon um, and the followers created the mitre, because that's how Dagon had been cre- um, had been visualized when his statues and um, reliefs were created. And folks, that's the very God that Yahweh God had sent Jonah to the people of Nineveh. He had sent Jonah to Nineveh to call them to repentance because they were worshiping Dagon. He was one of the main gods they worshiped in Nineveh, and God, Yahweh God, hated it. And he sent Jonah there to show grace and mercy upon those pagan people, and they repented. And just like they repented, the Catholics can repent 
and they can turn away from these practices. That's why we're exposing this information so that we can give you guys solid facts to take to your Catholic friends. Because if they're true Bible believers, if they truly are seeking truth, when they hear these facts and they research them, they can have no option but to repent. We see, that's why I created that DVD on Kabbalism, so people could see the truth of what's really going on, Lord willing, repent of their sins, and get saved. We've got a couple more things to cover, but real quick, tell everyone the DVD again, Brother Doc, if you don't mind. Okay, that DVD is called Catholicism, Witch Queen of Heaven. That can be found on my website at www. Now, this is going to be one log word. It's all lowercase, no apostrophes, but it's www. It's a God thing productions 777.com. Now, that it's a God thing productions 777.com. Or if you want, you can find me on Facebook, or um, you can email me at docmarkey777 at yahoo.com. And folks, Doc has a new segment of his website. You can rent the digital video on the internet, and you can watch it in high quality. So I want to encourage everybody to go over there and check that out. Now, in the time that we have left, let me ask you this. Um, we were talking about the the different statues, the idols, um, we get into a topic of what we call a pantheon of deities. You know, now if you people study um, the different religions of the world, you're going to learn that many religions, they're all the occult religions, they, they believe in a pantheon of deities, a great number of deities. So what's the connection, Doc, uh, between the pantheon of deities and the Catholic Church and the voodoo connection? Oh, oh there's absolutely no difference. In this case, um, the first goddess, the moon goddess um, would, would have been um, Semiramis, and that was in Babylon. Well, I trace in the DVD on Catholicism, among other things, all the way back from Semiramis in Babylon, we went to Egypt, we went to next, then, you know, we went into Mesopotamia, um, then um, the other cultures of the world, China and the others, and by the time it got to Roman Catholicism, that Queen of Heaven, as she was noted and written up in the Bible, now became Mary, Queen of Heaven. See, Mary is just another name and another person for Semiramis. All it is is theistic evolution. Folks, if you didn't hear the show that I did on apparitions, go back a few weeks and check it out on the website. Uh, I even mentioned the Diana connection with the Mary statue. Uh, yes, with the Diana final. of the Ephesians in the Greek world um, eventually became the next step, and she ended up, instead of Diana, she ended up as Mary, Queen of Heaven. And again, the title of Queen of Heaven is stolen straight from Babylon itself, where the occult first began. These are historical facts, people. People with um, a number of people in Haiti, just like from um, parts of Africa, had been um, um, stolen and sold as slaves in America. Now, in order to and the masters of these slaves forced them to convert to Catholicism, and if they didn't, they would beat them or kill them. Well, eventually what they did, the Haitians um, actually took their voodoo religion and guised it with a Catholic flair, 
you will find out that um, their gods and goddesses were given Catholic names, so their masters would think that they were worshiping the Catholic religion and not their religion known as voodoo. That's how that came about. So nowadays, when you go to a a shop, a botanica, uh, or the botanica shops... A blue shop, you will see various candles with Catholic saints on it that it has different names. So today we see the merging. It's literally... I mean, and it, and it merges so well because we're dealing with two occult religions. Exactly. That's why they were able to do it and get away with it. We see so many people with their rosaries. People people are big into the rosary. Uh, there's a major connection with Mary and the rosary and praying the different prayers, the Hail Marys. When you do that, you have to understand, this is in, in essence a form of indulgence because when you're praying the rosary, you're also um, praying X amount to be years off of your sentence in purgatory. Wow. Yeah. So again, we're dealing with another ritual. And those rosary beads, once again, came from the occult. You find it in um, the occult um, religions, the ancient ones. Well, you've got the Buddhist prayer beads that people wear, and a lot of different uh, Eastern mysticism, I know they use beads, uh, prayer beads. They'll even call them prayer beads. So it's yeah. it's very That's interesting. That's where it comes from, is the occult world. You know, and many this times... Isn't this isn't something Christian, because, I mean, let's be honest, folks. You read in the Bible, there's no mentioning of prayer beads. There's no mention of purgatory. All these things were added um, after Catholicism was originally founded in 323 A.D. Mm. under the leadership of Constantine. These things came afterwards, after the Bible was written. And I just want to remind you that... You will not find any of these things in true Christianity. You know, like Doc said earlier, even in the origin of Catholicism, when uh, Constantine had his vision or his dream, the cross that he saw was not a Christian cross. It was an ankh. This is an occult pagan symbol. So uh, there was nothing biblical or Christian even in the beginning. I mean, it's origins, a complete witchcraft. Yeah, and let's not forget. According to Constantine, he saw the words in Hoxig Novense, which means in this sign, conquer. In other words, you're doing these things in the, um, for the sake of the occult or in the name of the occult. And, you know, we don't even have time to get into the secret societies of the Vatican and the Catholic Church. Uh, there, there's plenty of information out there, folks, you can find. One of the things we see, um, sometimes you talk to a Catholic and they'll say, well, I'm a Christian. Uh, other times you'll talk to a Catholic and they'll say, no, I'm a Catholic. Now, the one that says they're a Catholic, they're the ones that are really right, because Catholicism is not Christianity. We know this. No, it's not. But... But You see, um, 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 the Catholic Church has been using a lot of buzzwords to make it look as if they're Christian. Of course, one of them is, you know, they call themselves Christian. But interesting, a lot of them have been saying that they're born again. And some of them now claim to speak in tongues? Uh, there, there's yeah. been a whole ecumenical movement in the, or a uh, charismatic ecumenical movement in the Catholic Church. Uh, even in recent days, we know that some of these um, prosperity gospel preachers, like Kenneth Copeland and others, have gone to meet with the Vatican. And, and I'll take you oh, back. Yeah. And they're giving their hokey dokey and saying, "Hey, we're going to become part of the Catholic movement now." Uh, but go yeah. back further than that. It's yeah. not just recent, though. I mean, this was going on back in the days of Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham was very close to the Pope. 
Matter of fact, Billy Graham preached at the cathedral when the Pope, one of the popes was being inaugurated. Uh, but, but, uh, Robert Schuller from the Hour of Power, uh, he's the one that had the giant crystal cathedral, 33rd degree yeah. Freemason. And. But she, see, they're trying to unify, in, according to the prophecies in the Bible, Catholicism as the one great religion on the face of the earth. And we find out that this will happen if we um, go by Revelation 18, um, 20, 23b. So these things have to happen, ladies and gentlemen. It was prophesied. It was foreseen of God. But we look at it. We look at all these things, and obviously, folks, just in the short time we've had tonight, we couldn't even barely scratch the surface. The culmination of all these uh, satanic rituals that take place in Catholicism, which we haven't even been able to cover tonight. But all these things culminate together. And what we see is out of all the so-called Christian denominations, the Catholic Church has the most demon possessions and exorcism cases of any so-called denomination. Why is that? Well, because they're worshiping the occult religion. I mean, they're calling these demons forward by their rituals in in the Catholic buildings, you know, the churches. They're calling these things into existence. They're bowing down to these things in the form of statues. They're following the, um, the occult religion through the Catholic religion. Basically, they're asking for it. If you're listening right now and you're a Catholic and you practice these things and you pray to Mary or the saints or you, in your mind you're praying through them, whatever, it doesn't matter how you look at it. If you're involved in that, you need to repent. We're telling you these things in love. You know, it's not our will that you follow down that path. We want you to be cleansed of these things. We want you to be able to repent and come into a real relationship with Christ based on his work on the cross and that alone. Now, it's my personal belief that whoever the Pope is at the time of the Antichrist will be the false prophet. Well, if we go by the book of Revelation, there's no two ways about it. It's the, um, it has to be. Um, the Pope, because the description is, this is a major world religion that is geographically or topographically, that it sits, you know, right next to seven hills. Now, without exception, there's only one major religion on the face of the earth that actually has seven hills right next to it. And that is um, the headquarters of the Vatican itself. It's the only place on the earth where there are seven hills around a major religion. There's not one other religion that fits um, the um, biblical description. Not one other. And if you ever visit the Vatican, folks, you're going to be blown away at how much satanic and occultic symbology is all over that place. I mean, you've got the giant male sex organ in the center of Vatican. You know, um, some people call that the shaft of Baal. You got the statues all over the place. You got, I mean, it's unbelievable, folks. Uh, there's no argument from the other side that holds any amount of water. But folks, if you're a believer, if you really are a believer in Christ, you wouldn't want to participate in anything like this. Just one last thing. When you're talking about Catholicism, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to do the same thing I do um, no matter what the situation is. Um, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Amen. Well, Brother Doc, we sure do appreciate you, and uh, we love you. We're praying for you. Thanks for taking the time out of your night to come talk with us, and uh, we look forward to having you on real soon. 
Well, it's always my pleasure, Justin. Well, God bless you, Brother Doc, and we'll talk later, okay? You take care, and God keep you and everyone out there. Now, as the world turns and we see more and more of these demonic realities, it really weighs heavy on my heart. We see the blatant blurring of the lines between what is good and what is evil. Tonight, I want to talk about holiness. I think this is a relevant topic of discussion because we live in a time that most Christians believe they have to sin constantly. It's been ingrained into our minds that because we have flesh, we have to sin on a daily basis. I believe that this is a major problem in our cultural Christianity to date. I realize we are all sinners and that we all have flesh. I also realize that it's in our fleshly nature to sin. None of us, not one, are exempt from the temptations of this world. None of us are exempt from the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But I want us to really examine a few things and hopefully tonight you will have a clear understanding of what it means to be holy and the reality that it is in fact achievable. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15-16, through the beloved apostle writes this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, I want to break this down for everyone. First of all, as true followers of Yeshua, we have been called by God, and we know that He is in fact holy. The Holy Spirit is telling us here in this passage that just like we know that God is holy, We need to be holy in all manner of conversation. Now, this isn't a direct command to just have holy conversations with our friends. It's actually speaking to a much deeper level. You see, all aspects of our lives need to be holy, just as God is holy. Our conversations, our living, our thoughts, our actions, our interactions, and anything and everything that we do needs to be in tune with our holy God, Yahweh. We are to strive for this type of living. Every day of our lives, folks. It sounds impossible if we think of it in fleshly terms, but I challenge everyone tonight to think of this in spiritual terms. If we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God and we're bought with the precious price of Jesus' blood, born again into a fruitful relationship with our Creator, we must know that any command in the Word of God is attainable as we receive the Word of God in faith. If we take God at His Word, we must understand that whatever it states is truth. So we are told to be holy as God is holy. As a matter of fact, Peter makes reference to the fact that it is written, Be ye holy as I am holy. Anytime we hear this term, it is written, we're reminded of the fact that God's Word is unchanging. It directs us generally to the Old Testament passages. And this was important to the early church because many of them were children of Israel who had a solid understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. So Peter wasn't bringing about a new doctrine here. He was actually saying, hey, everybody, be holy, just like God. And to top it off, he declares that it is written throughout the entirety of God's word. Now, Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. It's repeated again in verse 45, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Leviticus 20.26 And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have served you from other people, that ye should be mine. So we see a recurring pattern of God calling his people to be just like he is, 
which is holy. In order to enter into the presence of God, ladies and gentlemen, man must be holy, set apart from sin under righteousness. Now, men are not holy. That's obvious. They are not righteous, but in fact, they are very sinful. They don't think right. They don't speak right. They don't act right. They don't do right. They don't rightly perceive God. They don't rightly perceive themselves. They don't rightly perceive God's truth, God's revelation, or God's law, or even God's will. This is the nature of man. This is why we must become holy through Jesus Christ Yeshua. Because in and of ourselves, folks, we can never achieve this. But even though men are not holy and they are not right with God, for the most part, they don't perceive that they're not holy. They don't understand that they're not righteous. They don't willingly agree with the diagnosis of scripture that they are sinful. Men are not holy, and worse, they don't recognize the need for holiness, or in many cases, the absence of holiness in their lives. And if they do recognize that they're not holy, they usually blame someone else for that reality. Even in the church, many people write off sin as a part of life, inescapable, and merely a side effect of the fallen flesh of mankind. Many modern Christians and even agnostics blame their sinful nature on God or some higher power. James chapter 1 contradicts this popular thought of blaming God for sin. Now this is what it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So, what we see here, we see that we are tempted when we are drawn away by our own lusts, not by any doing of God, but rather by our own lusts. This is paramount. We must have an understanding of this. Now, the temptation in itself is not the sin. We see Jesus Christ being tempted by Satan, and we know that he never committed any sin. So the temptation isn't the sin, but the Holy Spirit speaks through James and explains where the danger is in all of this. Now, watch this carefully. After the temptation comes, lust is conceived, and that brings forth sin. Then the sin, and all of its completion, brings forth death. And James even said, make no mistake about this. He specifically said, do not err, my beloved brethren. So we should make no mistake about this, folks. Sin cannot be intentionally practiced by followers of Jesus. Let me say that again. Sin cannot be intentionally practiced by followers of Jesus. It's one thing to make mistakes and to stumble. We all do it. But we cannot make exceptions for lifestyle sins of practice. It is a fact. We cannot enter into the presence of God unless we are holy, unless we are set apart for Him and His high calling and purpose, folks. When we come to Christ, we are a new creature. We are born again. And we are not continuing in our old ways of lifestyle sins. Our sins are forgiven and Christ died to pay for them. But we must strive to live set apart lives for the glory of God and not live in ways that bring shame upon Yeshua or his church. We really have to wake up and we have to stand against this candy coated preaching that we hear. This candy coated preaching engulfs our mainstream churches and our so-called Christian broadcasting networks. We have to set ourselves up, folks in line with God's holy word. And it is a high calling. 2 Corinthians 6.17 commands us to come out from this pagan and satanic culture. The Spirit says through Paul, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you.
This is one of those conditional situations. If we want to be received by God, we must come out from among this world, and we must be separate from the lawlessness that overflow our society. You see, folks, sin is real, and it's the greatest epidemic the world has ever seen of all time. It is imperative that we stand up and live a life that is pleasing to Yahweh God, and that we receive the high calling of being holy just as He is holy. Don't be deceived into thinking that your sinful lifestyle is okay with God. Just because your friends and maybe your family support your lifestyle sins, that doesn't make it okay with God. Just because your pastor says it's okay, doesn't make it okay. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 deals with this directly. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This is very clear, folks, that as a true Christian, we're supposed to be dead to sin. So if we're dead to sin, how can we continue to live any longer in sin? I know this is a hard and controversial topic to be discussing, but every one of us, myself included, needs to strive daily to live a lifestyle which is pleasing unto God and not commit ourselves unto the works of the flesh, but rather seek God's grace to help us live according to His word and according to His commands. James 4.7 gives us a solid guarantee that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And we see that word there, that conditional word, if. Anytime we see the word if in scripture, we must take a special note and realize that we're dealing with a condition here. This draws a call to action on our part in order to receive the promise. You see, God loves you. And he shows us his mercy. But we should never want to test his mercy. As a true born-again follower of Jesus Christ Yeshua, you will be tempted. The enemy knows your weaknesses. He knows your areas of former practices. He knows where you are the most vulnerable. This is why it's so important to have a strong prayer life, to have daily meditations on God's word. It's so important to have fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ as iron sharpening iron. And it's so vital that we have access to solid Bible teaching. And we must never try and make excuses for our sins, but rather confess our sins, knowing that God will forgive us. And we must ask for the grace to strengthen those areas of our lives that are weak. And folks, we must practice a lifestyle of resisting the devil and his temptations. So just reflect on your personal life right now. What are you struggling with? What sin seems to easily get you off course? Have you been making allowances for certain sins in your life? Have you accepted that certain pet sins will always be a part of your life no matter what? We all have certain thorns in our flesh, but the grace of God is sufficient to help us deal with whatever we are facing. God can help you to overcome the sins that you're struggling with, but you have to seek Him, ladies and gentlemen. No more sweeping our pet sins under the rug, because like a cancer metastasizes throughout the entire body, Sin will grow and spread as you allow it to take over your life. Sin is compared to leaven in the Bible, and this is such a clear analogy. Galatians 5.9 tells us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So just picture a lump of dough. You're making a loaf of bread. If just a little leaven gets into that ball of dough, the entire loaf of bread is completely affected. This is exactly the way that sin works. It starts off small like a little white lie. Then it begins to grow and take over your life 
and your entire way of thinking. We have to stand firm in our faith and we have to strive to live a life that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. He loves you and He's given us His Word to profit us and to teach us how to live lives that are spiritually rich and fulfilled. This isn't a message of condemnation, friends, but rather a course of encouragement to live a holy and set-apart life which will please and honor our righteous and loving Creator, Yahweh. Let's strive together and encourage one another to live above reproach. Let's fellowship in the light of God's holy word and be blessed in all things spiritual. It is my desire that each and every one of you will be encouraged to examine your lives tonight and begin cleaning up areas that are holding you back spiritually and maybe even rededicate those shady areas of your personal lives to the Lord. You can have total freedom in Jesus Christ and you can live your life to the fullest extent as you are a hearer and a doer of God's holy inspired word. Praise God. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one, and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show, and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been a-
an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number four, T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O dot B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.